Hey guys, it's Mentally Chill. I am your host, Kristen Carney. If you don't know me, look me up. I'm everywhere. I'm I'm basically the Trump of podcasts. Everyone hates me. They want, I'm just kidding. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining in. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're an old listener, get the fuck out. Just kidding. Hey, how are you guys? So before I get started, I want to say thank you to Patreon people. Uh, that includes Jackson J and Hogan R. So thank you guys for joining Patreon. And I'm not going to talk too much about it, but I want to remind you guys, if you do support the show on Patreon, when we get to 200 patrons, we're at about 100 now, I will reveal my SAT scores, which I will probably regret. As uh, as I've said in the other episodes, there's a scene in Seinfeld when George says, you know, I'd tell you anything to Jerry. And he says, but this I'm taking to my grave. He's talking about the SATs. That is something I do want to take to my grave. However, I am, you know, I guess pathetic enough to be <laughs> to uh, want to do this um, because all of your support is totally necessary in this show and in my life. So please go to patreon.com slash mentally chill and support the show. It's so easy to do. It doesn't take a lot of effort. As you know, I can barely get out of bed to put my pants on, but I do believe that this is way easier than that. So patreon.com slash mentally chill and on to the show. So today I want to talk about how you perceive yourself and being hated in your mind. And I have a lot of experience with that. So I figured that would be a good topic for me to wax poetically about alone in my room into this mic. So here I am. So when I opened up the show, I jokingly mentioned Trump. I said, I am the Trump of podcasts. Everyone hates me. But in my mind, I'm the Trump of podcasts in so many different ways. Uh, in in my head, uh, Trump is rich. I'm clearly, that's not me. Uh, Trump is verbose. That's clearly not me. But uh, a lot of people very, as we much know, hate Trump. And I've grown up my entire life and throughout adulthood assuming people hate me when they meet me. This has made things incredibly difficult in every aspect of my life, from going to the grocery store, to trying to get a job, to putting this podcast on the air, um, to doing stand-up specifically that has cursed me in, in my comedy career. The other thing that's cursed me in my comedy career is not being funny. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know which one weighs heavier because I feel like there are a lot of unfunny people that are doing very big things. But anyway, that's a whole other bitter um, thing for me to talk about later at some point. Alone to no one but my therapist. Anyway, I, um, I've i been affected by that so deeply. And so there's the aspect of the self-hate, but then there's all the, also the aspect that I wanted to talk about, which is the way that you see yourself. Um, I see myself in a, in a funhouse mirror and uh, there's something fun about it. And um, that has also affected my life so deeply. And both of these things have contributed to my depression because I can't, um, I can't live when I, when I'm, when I'm up and I'm motivated and I'm out and I'm, or I'm working or I'm finally getting the motivation to do something. It's like having the good angel and the bad angel on your shoulder. 
So when I'm out and I'm feeling, you know, worthy of life, I have that that dude on my shoulder. And then at the exact same time, I've got the other nerd on my shoulder um, telling me that, telling me all of the lies. And what's so frustrating is that I hear that other voice so much louder than I hear the other one. And I used to work on that in therapy where um, I would talk to that other voice. And, uh, and that voice is, it's so weird. The irony behind those voices is that they're full of self-hate. They're, they're not self-hate, but they're full of hate while at the same time being so weak underneath all the layers. If you peeled back all the layers, that is a sad little... It's basically what it is, that voice, that that person on one of my shoulders and all of your shoulders is the voice that is this little nugget of a of a of a man he's he's short he's like teeny tiny he's kind of napoleonish um and but he's inside of this huge suit um that looks like a that looks like a big muscle man but he's just operating the arms of that muscle man from inside kind of like the wizard of oz and that's who that person really is and that's what that feeling really is is insignificant and insecure and unworthy of air and it's so weird how we give it so we we feed it it's like the plant in the corner that is ugly and it's like eh, why do I even have this plant but yet you keep feeding it it's like just just get rid of the plant but for some reason we we just um, maybe taking the steps to bring that plant out to the to the to the curb for garbage is annoying, or it's heavy, or you just keep forgetting to do it, and you think you'll get to it later. So that's what that voice is, and the reason. <clears throat> so there's so there's that, and then the aspect of how you perceive yourself and the funhouse mirror stuff. And so I know for me, and I've mentioned this many times, um, I I think I actually if this is even. A, a disorder. I know there's body dysmorphic disorder, um, but I I think I actually have facial dysmorphic disorder uh, because when I see myself, um, I have a freak face on the level of of um, the elephant man. I'm the elephant gal, and uh, and I know that's not true. But again, it's that voice that's that's insecure and it's given so much credit in my mind because in my mind it's dressed up like this big muscle man. Um, and I know it's so if you guys if you guys don't know who, what I look like and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, well, maybe she doesn't look like the, the elephant man. Um, just you can go to my Instagram. I look fine in all my pictures, but I pick very specific pictures. I'm very um in control and very controlling of how I look because I know if I angle my face in certain ways, I'll, I'll, in my mind, I'm tricking you guys or and myself to look normal. Um, 
but in my mind, those pictures are, are all lies. Every single picture that I have of myself on my Instagram is a lie. And, and not real. it's not like I'm using Photoshop and I'm, you know, which by the way, if you guys go, I want to mention this really quickly. I am obsessed with this Instagram page. Um, it's called Celeb Face, like Celebrity Face, C-E-L-E-B Face. And a lot of the pictures they do, she'll post like, um, you know, just a really close up picture of a celebrity. But the other pictures that she posts, I'm so obsessed with because what they are are pictures of, I'm saying a lot of peas, and I know my peas are popping into this microphone right now, so my apologies. Um, when I tape, just for, just as a side note, when I tape alone, I don't use my new mics because I can't record directly into my computer. And when I record alone, I am pretty sure I'm going to have to stop a lot and pause and edit and stuff like that. So I like to be right at my computer. So my apologies for the popping peas. So I try to turn my head when I say pee so it doesn't sound as bad. So I'm turning my head now when I say pee. Anyway, so there's this Instagram page called Celeb Face. And the pictures that I love, not love, I mean, I hate them, but I'm so obsessed with looking at them is she will pull a pic, pull an original picture of a celebrity and then pull the picture that that celebrity posts on their Instagram page and she'll overlay them. Um, and it's a little video. And so it's like she clicks when she does it, she must click on her Photoshop like, you know, one layer, you know, leave one layer, take off the layer, leave one layer. If you guys know Photoshop at all. But anyway, um, so it shows the changes that these Instagram celebrities or regular celebrities, especially the Kardashians, um, do to themselves. And it is insane. So I know I'm not the only one who, you know, isn't always pleased with the way they look. I'm on another level where I'm obsessed with it and I can't, and it's like an obsessive thought over and over and over. Like if I'm looking very closely at somebody and having a conversation, I would love, love, love to be in deep into that conversation. But really what's going on in my head is what are they looking at that's wrong on my face? And are they seeing it? Are they seeing I'm lying? And are they seeing that my face is this freak face that I think it is? So in, you know, in one sense, it's really frustrating to um, not be able to fully, fully let go I am furry, I will say that, but not to be able to fully let go and just be in a moment. It keeps you from just being and I, in my dream world, can just be, but all that stuff just jingling around in my head and it's like an unorganized toolbox and all these tools are just clanking around and there's a lot of nails and they're all different sizes and I'm like, nah, I can't organize this. And I can't stop thinking these thoughts. They keep shaking and shuffling around in there. Um, so so I, I need to work on fixing that. But I, I don't know how. I, I don't know if it's just a you come to a point in your life where you're too old to worry about it or you're too tired to worry about it and you say, fuck it, who cares? I am who I am. Um, and I definitely am getting closer to that point. Um, I... It's like two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. Or sometimes it's two steps forward, eight steps back. Or sometimes it's eight steps forward, one step back. So I'm not consistent with getting better about it. But 
I think who you surround yourself with, not that you can, you know, just pick and choose all the time who you have to talk to and who can see you and who can't and all that stuff all the time. But um, I do think something that helps is surrounding yourself by people who love you and think you're perfect the way you are. And, um, and I, but when I say that, it's like much easier said than done because if you don't have those people, how do you find them? And the people that do have them, how did they, how did they, you can't interview them. Like, how did you get to this? I mean, maybe you can, I could actually do that on this podcast. Speaking of interviews. Um, so, uh, it definitely can be worked on. Um, but it's, um, really, uh, a big contributor to, to my emotional downness, I guess you could call it. Um, it's especially in, and I'm not just talking face anymore, but, um, back to people hating me. So I'm actually, I haven't done stand up in a really long time now. And I have, um, my first show tomorrow night, which I do things so irresponsible. I'm so, it's because of the procrastinator in me and the not wanting to live in me and all of the bad qualities in me keep me from prepping and preparing. And I, so anyway, I have a show tomorrow. <laughs> I haven't done stand up in like a year and I haven't done it at all. And I have a show tomorrow. So I set myself up for failure. That's a really bad thing. Um, and I'm, I'm on the fence about doing it because I have really enjoyed not having that additional level of criticism in my life because I am already as critical as can be on myself, let alone having an audience add to that. So that's why I haven't been doing stand-up for so long. And tomorrow I have to throw myself back into the wolf pack and, or to the lions or something and, uh, and let them feast on me. But I see it exaggerated that I know that's not really what's happening, but that's how it feels. And this is the part of me that's the, you know, uh, seeing yourself in a funhouse mirror. I hate how I come across on stage. I hate, I hate, you know, the way my clothes fit. I, I hate the way my hair looks. I, I don't look like a comedian. I look, I don't look likable. I look, you know, so it's all of those things. And I hope it doesn't make things worse. Um, I don't know really if they could get worse, <laughs> but uh, it's possible, I guess, because, um, you know, just when you think you're like, yeah, you're at the lowest, no, you can go lower. Uh, so I'm doing that, not happy about it. Maybe I'll be happy about it. Maybe I'll come out thinking I am feel stronger and that was good for me. Maybe, and, and you know, and another thing is um, exposure therapy kind of stuff. When I do it, it's, it's like you realize people don't hate you and, and uh, you're, you don't look freaky or dumb or weird on stage. You know, you look like any other person. So hopefully that's how I come out of it. Um, but who freaking knows you guys? And part of the part, so two reasons I'm in, was inspired to talk about this today is uh, one of them was because a certain someone, I won't name who in turn, uh, said, uh, I don't, I, I, I insult myself too much. Uh, and, um, and so 
I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I, I, I'm so glad that he says things, these things, these horribly abusive things to me. Just kidding. Intern, I love you. Um, but he said, if you guys, cause on my Patreon, um, I'll post those. You've heard me say many pods. I've, I'll post those. And I talked recently on a mini pod on Patreon about, um, Nicole Arbor and, uh, I had done an episode about the video that she had posted on depression. And then I talked about it again on Patreon because her and I had some communication and she might, she was possibly going to come on the show, but she was definitely not easy to communicate with and wasn't, wasn't what I'd call a humble human being. So anyway, I talked about that on um, my Patreon page and, and I said, I think she's coming on. And if she is, it's, so if you don't know who Nicole Arbor is, I did an episode about her a couple days ago. She is the girl, you might remember, she does YouTube videos uh, and she did one called Dear Fat People a long time ago. She basically is like the tell it like it is girl. Um, but uh, I did an episode on her Why Depression is All in Your Head video and she has lots and lots and lots of followers. She's very, she's not, I don't, I would say the majority of people don't like her. She's not what you'd call a likable person, but she has, but if you appreciate her and her message, then she is a likable person. Um, but she's very, very, very committed to her beliefs and kind of an a-hole about them. And if you can't do what she did, you are weak. And you know what I was actually thinking about? earlier with her is I I love my favorite kinds of movies are movies with very very weak lead characters and I don't mean weak as in like ugh that was like I couldn't carry the movie but I mean weak as in they are just fuck ups for life and they try and they try and they try and they make the wrong decision and they get worse and worse and they you know, bury themselves in under this pile of a huge mess and they're trying just desperately to just win for once. I'm such a huge fan of those types of characters and those types of people in real life. That's why I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. It's the underdog thing. So Nicole Arbor is not the underdog fan person. Maybe she is, but her message comes across as an if you are not strong, then you are not good that's what that's what how her message reads so when she when I, the possibility of her coming on this podcast was floating around in the air I said on the mini pod that I felt like Rocky training to fight Apollo Creed like in my mind she was Apollo you know the strong one confident She's got a big, or he's got, well, she, yeah, she has a big team. I mean, maybe he, she's got a big team. And then I'm Rocky. I'm this underdog and I don't have a big team and I don't have a massive following and I have to go up against her, but I have to do all my training and I have to get in the right mindset and I have to pump myself up because I am the underdog. And so my intern texted me and he said, you are not the Rocky in this situation. You're not Rocky. You're not the underdog. You don't, you're not the weak one. And I wrote back. That's what makes me me. And he sent back many, many reasons as to why that is not 
that it's not a personality definer. He said, I don't know what personalities. And Day, go with me on this. I'm, I'm enjoying talking about you and I like what you did. Uh, so he listed, you know, he said, you know, you fixed your crossed eye. That wasn't part of your personality. He, li- he listed a bunch of things like that. And so, you know, it did make me think because in my head, I do think that's who I am. That is my self-perception. I I am the one who doesn't win. Or if I do win, it won't come easy. And so it's the self-perception thing that contributes to that voice on your shoulder full of the self-hate and, and negative self-talk. And so in reflection... I agree that that isn't what makes me me. I do think it helps me be likable. And I think that's why I do, I think that's why I say that that makes me me because underneath underneath it, I want to be liked. And underneath that, it's if I self-deprecate, therefore I will be liked and if I don't, then I won't be liked. But it's become so ingrained to be my personality. Um, and so my self-perception kind of gets all screwed up because then I think, well, if I'm not that, I'm not this underdog and I'm not the one who's always losing, and then what else do I, who, who am I? What do I have as, what do I have to give me personality? And I may have said this on another podcast, but, and I've definitely said it to my therapist over and over and over, well, my old, this one that I saw years and years ago, but I was, I would say to her, I need to have this side of me because then I'm not funny. I don't want to, I, I don't personally don't find someone who is so okay with themselves to be very funny. So it's like the Woody Allen in me that. I need to keep like the neurotic, self-loathing something. And I would love to ask Woody Allen if that's still true. And if it went away, the self-loathing and the neuroses, would he still be able to write the way he did? Um, because I think so much beauty and humor and anything with color comes from pain. So part of me doesn't want to let it go. Because then if I let it go... I'm I'm blah. I'm just like the most boring whatever. So I don't know if I want to let it go, but I guess I should let it go because it definitely holds me down. And I think as an experiment, and you guys can do it too, whatever it is, however you view yourself in your mind, just throw it away for a while, then continue do, doing what you're doing. And see if you lose any of that color. So for me, for example, if I stopped talking negatively about myself and I stopped self-deprecating and, and throughout this process kept writing because I've written a couple of screenplays and, you know, that's my goal is to like sell a movie and make a movie. And so if I do that, will my writing still be the same or will it suffer? So I should do it as an experiment. Um, it's a really hard experiment. And I don't think it has um, well, quite clear confines to how I would do it exactly. Like it would take a long time. And I don't know when when I would really 
be aware that that voice is gone. And But I, I do think it would be a good experiment, and I think I kind of want to challenge myself to it. I think it would lift a lot of that heavy cloud off of me. Uh, and the other reason that I wanted to talk about this was because someone who is in, incredibly deeply important in my life has suffered tremendously with um, cancer. And because of that, that person sees themselves as a monster and as a creature of the night. Like we, this person and I saw the Phantom of the Opera together and they thought, this is me. I am the Phantom. And it hit them so hard and they were crying. And then from the outside, from me, from my perspective, I don't see any of that, you know, because I am not, I obviously haven't, you know, experienced a disease, diseases like that, um, because this person has had many cancers. Um, So I can't, and I also didn't see this person go through all of these cancers. So it's it's not like I can see any evidence of how this person feels, but that is how they feel. And I can relate to it because I feel the same way. I feel um, like the funhouse mirror version of myself. And so recently we saw The Shape of Water and uh, the movie is... It's a really, really, really well done movie. It's beautifully shot. And um, if you're not sure, if you've never heard of it, basically it's this water creature person guy who has feelings and emotion and can communicate. Um, and he's, this is, it, the movie's based in the 50s or 60s. And he's pulled in as this military research experiment or government experiment or something. And the heroine of the movie is a mute. And so she communicates with him by signing. And she gives a, you know, beautiful speech at the end or toward the end or maybe in the middle, actually. doesn't matter. Uh, She gives this beautiful speech with her, you know, with signing about how he doesn't see her as damaged or missing or or missing any part of you know human her human self by not having speech and she's not broken and all of that and so it's a love story and I really love I really 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 like the movie I had a hard time getting over the sea creature look like I don't love that sci-fi thing but my friend the person that I was with um said this is how I feel I feel like this sea monster and you're seeing me as not that and it's such a you know like I I wasn't seeing this person with any missing parts and it was such a beautiful like I guess shared um, experience watching it Uh, but it's the self-perception none of that's real he's not a sea creature monster and uh, I think when you don't know the truth, you always imagine it worse than it is. The other day I was watching, I'm obsessed with Forensic Files. And by the way, I've been watching Forensic Files bef- well before it was cool. And so I'm the original Forensic Files person. Uh, but now that it's cool, 
I can reference it and you guys know what I'm talking about. But there was a Forensic Files episode and a mother said that she wanted to know what happened, her happened to her daughter because what she was imagining was the absolute worst thing ever. So she wanted to know the truth because the truth might not be as bad as her imagine imagination would make it. And so I think that's what the negative voice is. It never sees the truth. And so it's always going to be worse in your head, worse in it, you know, worst case scenario. And, uh, and so having, that's why earlier I said having someone in your life or people in your life to appreciate you and see you from this non fucked up place, the place that you're seeing yourself in is really important. And having them not have to constantly baby you or tell you how great you are all the time, but when you're feeling insecure and feeling that self-hate, having someone say, you know what? You are actually freaking awesome. And here's why. And all those things you're seeing in your mind are myths. So shout out to uh, someone from Patreon, Ben. He and I Skyped recently. Because if you pledge X amount of dollars per month, you can Skype with Miss Carney. That's me. So I apologize in advance. Just kidding. See, that's what I, I, I need to self-deprecate. I don't know how not to. But he was awesome. So Ben, if when you're listening to this episode, thanks uh, for the encouragement. But he just said, you know, you self-deprecate and all of this stuff. But you're really freaking awesome and really cool and funny. And 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 he asked... Uh, does all of the stuff that you hear from the outside world saying that, you know, either your show is good or, you know, we think you're funny, does any of that penetrate your mind? And no, it doesn't. It it does for a minute and it feels really good. But um, it's kind of like a, like a sieve or something. Like people are saying these, you know, people say these um, awesome, wonderful things. And it's in my, my um, colander. Do people still call them colanders, by the way? Can I Google this while I'm talking? I never know what strainer, strainer, that's what I'm talking about. But what is a colander? I'm going to look that up right now. And I am going to in inform you. A perforated bowl used to strain off liquid from food. Okay, so people still call it colanders. Strainer. Anyway, it's like when people say wonderful things, I have a strainer. And all those wonderful things go into the strainer and they're there and they exist and they're real. And then they go right through the holes. And then what stays is the solid shit, which is the negative shit. So I need to start straining differently or just buy a new colander. If I went to a store and I'm like, where are the colanders? Would people, like if I went to Target and asked where a colander was, would people know? Hmm. I'm in that weird phase of life where things are really different now in the future. This is the future from before and I'm not that old I'm 34 but like referencing certain things now is if it's to the wrong person we'll go right over their head like like where like like if you said rotary to someone under the age of 30 would they know what that means rotary rotary phone well you Brits might think I'm t referring to the rotary and the road but rotary phone did you guys in Britain in other places, do you guys say rotary phone also? 
Or was rotary phone called something different for you if you also have rotaries in your road? Anyway, deep thoughts with Kristen Carney. So I guess that's it for the self-pity portion of the show. And I want to get into some of my fun segments. So I'm going to start with F that shit. I, I uh, didn't do F that shit last week because we were talking so long, which was so fun. I love that episode and I wish um, that this episode was that episode, but this one's still fine, I guess. So F that shit, pretty cool thing talking about. It's stuff you don't think of. It's like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. So the article is about exploring how deaf people hear voice hallucinations. And then it's like, oh, uh, oh yeah, duh. How would they? So it's, for, it's people with schizophrenia. And this study was done in 2007. And basically the, the conclusion in the article even says it. It's not a surprising conclusion. So they studied people that were deaf from birth. So they refer to them as profoundly deaf. Those participants in the study reported non-auditory, clear, and easy to understand voices, which sounds very confusing. But basically what they're saying is they were all, all the participants were confident they didn't hear sounds, but they knew the gender and identity of the voice. They would report seeing an image of the voice singing, no, signing. (laughs) I am smart and this is why I'm going to post my thing on Patreon, my SAT score. Um, They reported seeing an image of the voice signing or lips moving in their mind. So they would more visualize a person. And then by contrast, the participants who had early experience of hearing, so they, they're not profoundly deaf, they're, they're familiar with sounds. Um, they were uncertain whether they were really hearing sounds or if they weren't. And the article says that while these findings may appear intuitive and uninspiring, it does represent a significant shift away from the, from the incongruent notion that individuals born profoundly deaf might hear truly auditory voice hallucinations despite a lack of experience with sound. So it kind of eliminated that idea. But that is very interesting. It's things that you don't really ever think about. You hear schizophrenia, but then you don't think, what about schizophrenia in the deaf? And I'd love to look up and figure out how schizophrenia works with the blind and I I would think of no worse life sentence than being schizophrenic and blind because all you hear are voices and now you really just only hear voices so that sounds really really terrible unless all the voices are just like Celine Dion and like just beautiful voices that would be wonderful I don't know why I just made a Celine Dion reference my apologies for the Celine Dion reference. And so next up, next segment we uh, is Who's Sadder? So this Who's Sadder came from someone on Snapchat. And I'm sorry I didn't write down your screen name on there because um, I totally forgot. And then when you go back in, there's all these snaps from people and I and all the snaps are gone. I'm really sick of that on Snapchat. They, I, they're trying to hang on desperately to what they do, but it's really very inconvenient. If you guys want to write to me 
at all, please write to me on Instagram. And that's what I was going to say earlier is if you want to check me out on Instagram to see if I'm actually the elephant woman or not, you can find me at Chris Karn, K-R-I-S-C-A-R-N. What's so funny is people will write to me. So my name's Kristen Carney. I don't mind going by Chris at all, but most people who call me Chris are were very close or have known me for a really long time. And so it's so funny because my name is Chris Carn on there. So it's not their fault at all. It's my fault. Um, or actually, you know whose fault it is? It's Kristen Carney, the girl who took the name Kristen Carney and is not the Kristen Carney. There are so many Kristen Carneys. It's crazy. Um, but anyway, people will write to me and they'll be like, hey, Chris. Um, and then, but it's psychologically, it's very interesting because I feel oddly tied to them or connected for some reason. And I don't point out that it's Kristen and I don't care. I prefer not to say Kristen because one, that makes me someone different. And two, I have a hard time saying my name. It's like a weird lisp thing. Like Kristen is really hard for me to say. And I actually spoke to a speech um, therapist or speech person recently. And she said to put more enunciation into the first part of my name. So Kristen Carney. So I don't have to worry about the because I get nervous where the S meets the T. Because like if I go to Starbucks and someone says, what's your name? I don't mind that they get my name wrong because I say because I can't even say my name. So I'll say I'll get nervous and I have to almost inhale. And then it's weird that I'm pausing because I'm like, Kristen. Sorry, sorry. That's my dog shaking off in the back. Um, But I have to really just like my chest gets bigger. <laughs> they probably think I'm full of self-confidence, but it's only because I'm trying to get out enough error to be able to say Kristen comfortably but I my heart gets racy I don't think I've ever mentioned this on here but I can't say I've never been able to comfortably say Kristen it's like too much saliva builds up I can't the s and the t I can't do the k to the r is uncomfortable sometimes I'll just say my name's Jen or Sarah or something so that I don't have to uh face my myself and then also I get nervous though if I then I get freaked if I say Sarah or Jen or someone else because and of course I pick the most white girl names ever but those are easy, easy to say it would be weird if I picked less I should pick fancier names but uh, I get nervous because then I think well what if I go to pay with my debit card and then they see my name isn't Jen or Sarah and they call me out and then I have to explain that uh, I'm weak and I can't say my own name um, anyway the whole point of this is. Find me on Instagram at Chris Karn, K-R-I-S-C-A-R-N. And uh, send me, if you want to send me things like who satters or um, or FDAT shits or anything like that, uh, just pop it in there because then I can go back and refer to it and say thank you for the suggestion. Whereas in Snapchat, I just can't figure out who said what. So anyway, this week's who satter is brought to you by someone other than me. Uh, so who's sadder? And I liked it. And I, we, we chatted quickly about it on Snapchat. Um, and I, so I already made up my mind, but, uh, they wanted to get my opinion on who is sadder people who had bad childhoods or people who had good child childhoods, but grow up to be very depressed and have depression. And so my response is, and was, so it stayed the same. I think people who had bad childhood, not everybody, this is not, you know, obviously, but this is just, I would theorize in general, I love stereotyping, so here we go. Uh, I would say people who had bad childhoods are stronger because they had to depend on themselves 
I definitely think they're really sad, the layers underneath, but I think they've learned how to cope. Whereas people who had childhoods with very, um, very uh, involved parents and very good parents, very loving parents, once they grow up and they're on their own, the world is a lot scarier and harder to, to learn on the fly. Um, whereas if you were just from straight up from a young age, you know, looking out for yourself and dealing with what you had to deal with and learning how to cope with it, you'd be in somewhat of a better position. Not that you're in a great position because then obviously all the psychological damage that comes with that. But I think they have an easier time coping with adulthood. And also, I think people who had bad childhoods might look forward to adulthood more because then that's their time to really just be themselves and shine and all of that stuff that sounds like it'd be in a musical. It's my time. It's my time. Uh, so, yeah, I would say... I would say I think people with good childhoods who grew up to have depression would be sadder. But that's also my experience because, as I've mentioned, I have, I had very, I have very loving parents. Um, and what happens to me now is um, I want to just revert and I just want to, like, have my mom hold me and make everything better again. And it's a deep sadness when you realize that that can never happen. My mom can be here to talk on the phone and to give me hugs when I go home and all that stuff. But she can't solve all of my problems and it's like god damn it really really mom <laughs> could you have made things a little harder for me so that it wasn't such a shock for when I was older and my mom also she did way too much for me so I feel helpless in a lot of, of ways and it's a it's that's a great problem to have your mom doing too much for you like when I was little I remember <laughs> I was really nice to my mom I was really my mom and I never had problems I was always um, acting like a like a total nerdy, like fun dweeb with her and all that. We could goof around and stuff. But when I was younger, I'd be laying on the couch, which is right ne next to the kitchen. Not in the kitchen. That'd be weird. Here's our kitchen couch. Um, I'd be laying on the couch, which is next to the kitchen. And I, and she'd be like doing something very far away from the kitchen area. And I would yell. If at the time I had a cell phone, I would call her. <laughs> but at the time, that did not exist. So I would yell from the couch, uh, Mom, make me a bowl of cereal. And my mom would make that freaking bowl of cereal. I mean, not every single time. I'd say like, I'd probably get her eight out of 10 times on it. But it would have been great if she was like, get your ass out of the couch out of, off the couch, out of the couch, <laughs> if it was out of the couch, my ass would be like in one of the cracks in the couch. Um, again, so, you know, you'd like sunken in, that'd be in the couch, but off the couch or out of the couch, what did I say? Anyway, it would have been great if she was like, get your ass off the couch and go <laughs> make your own bowl of cereal, which by the way, I want to point out the make your own bowl of cereal uh, to me very funny phrasing and I always say make me cereal like I would say make me cereal please of course I would be polite but uh make me a bowl of cereal it's not like you make cereal you know it's not like she has to go into a factory and start messing around with oats and nugget nougats no nougats candy bar oats and and wheat and sugar and you know you just pour it so I should have always said pour me a bowl of cereal 
but make it. I would say make me a bowl of cereal. Um, small, uh, interesting factoid about cereal um, that came up when I was watching The Shape of Water that I mentioned. Um, they say something, or no, was it? Or was it in the preview for something else before the movie? I think maybe it was in the movie. But uh, they say, they, they make a reference to how cereal uh, is supposed to like keep your libido down or something like that. Interesting fact that is true. Not, I mean, I don't think it's actually true, but the reason cereal was invented was because I think it was like the Puritans or, or some early settlers back when things were back, back when like people were just, you know, really strict. Like I would have been, my ass would have been kicked many times. Um, they thought that meat, eating meat, made you horny or uh, sexually driven or something like that. So if in the morning you ate wheat instead or something like a grain or a wheat, you wouldn't have the sex drive as if you ate meat. So anyway, interesting factoid. I don't know. I, th I think I watched a documentary or something. Uh, not full of many factoids, but that is one I am full of. So... That's so my, anyway, my conclusion is I'm weak. I'm saddest. I think the people with the better childhoods are sadder. Please write to me if you had a bad childhood and you have an argument as to why you're sadder. And I'm sure your arguments will be so fucking legit. It'll be like, um, I was beaten every day and I still have scars that I can't ignore. So I think you could win definitely in the argument, but that's just how I justify kind of understanding like, how why I function the way I do I was you know not hardened it's like I think the bad childhood people have have a callus and it's a good necessary callus to keep you safe and functioning whereas I don't have a callus I mean I have calluses on my feet that uh, really need tending to but I don't have a, a callus on my strength or you know I, I buckle so anyway that's who's sadder and eventually I think I really want to add in music for these little segments, because they're awkward to just transition to be like, okay, now we're done with who's sadder. What's up next? So uh, the last thing I'm going to do is uh, depression and pressure. Depression and pressure. And this was suggested to me by, I believe, Tamir as well. Tamir wrote uh, to me for a couple other things recently. But uh, this one is uh, on Leonard Cohen. And if you guys don't know who Leonard Cohen is, he is a musician. He's no longer with us. He died, I think, uh, in 2008 or something like that. Oh, no. He died in 2016. Uh, but he was a poet, a songwriter, singer, musician, novelist. And uh, his, like, you know, one song that's insanely famous is Hallelujah. Um, at which when I was younger, I couldn't say that word. I'd say Hallelujah. Uh, so he wrote Hallelujah. Um, and he suffered with depression for a very, very, very long time. And, uh, he has a couple quotes about depression that I would like to share with you guys. And here is the first one. He says, I didn't know what it was. I was ashamed of it, referring to depression, because it would be there even when things were good. And I would be saying to myself, really, what have you got to complain about? But, but for people who suffer from acute clinical depression, it is quite irrelevant what the circumstances of your life are. 
exactly. And then another one in 1997, he said, well, for me personally, depression has been an issue with me from, for the whole of my life. And I've tried like everybody else, various ways of dealing with that depression, you know, drugs, women, art, religion, you try everything. Well, you know, there's depression and there's depression. What I mean by depression in my own case is that depression isn't just the blues. It's not like I've just had a hangover for the weekend. The girl didn't show up or something like that. It isn't that. I'm trying to describe clinically like an acute depression. It's not really depression. It's kind of a mental violence which stops you from functioning properly from one moment to the next. You lose something somewhere and suddenly you're gripped by a kind of angst of the heart and of the spirit. And I, I'm not going to harp on Nicole Arbor, but this is what she doesn't seem to understand or grasp to me the way I perceive what is she what she had said in her video about how depression is all in your head and if you do this 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 and this these four steps you will be better it's it's like a it's like you can't just it's a having a scar in your skin and you can't have it it just doesn't go away by hoping it goes away it's a thing that is in you it's a thing that you can cope with and that you can find ways out of it but there's something inside someone with with true 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 depression that is part of their soul and I think he does a good job capturing that in that quote and uh and anyway I think that's um that's where I'll stop talking about Nicole Arbor but uh that's it for the show I hope you guys are all doing well and I hope this show helps you get through your week and hopefully it'll help you get through enough weeks to where it will become something bigger for you because you made it through all those weeks and then you took a step and you started seeing a therapist or something that I don't know it just kind of builds on each other and all these this is this podcast is part of your baby steps to feeling better so I hope that helps And next week, I'm excited because I'm going to be talking to a nutritionist who has struggled with depression about how your gut is so tied into your your brain and your emotions and all of that. So make sure to tune in next week as well. But if you want to support the show, please do. It helps so much. Please go to patreon.com slash mentally chill and be part of the Patreon community and get all those good perks that are up there. It's a community. And I think community and support is so important. So please, patreon.com slash mentally chill. Go check it out. And uh, remember, stay sad enough to listen, but not too sad. I'll see you next time.